0: Hello and welcome to episode 292 of on the Freak.
1: I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at Andrew R L P. Join me as always is the glorious League Freak. You can also find on Twitter at League Freak. How you go? I'm going well, Andrew. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Can't complain. Yeah. It's, it's one so of those days. I was gonna say, you got any complaints?
2: Um, I've got various complaints today. But okay. but therefore planet Earth. And I like to scream them into the night after the podcast. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about.
1: That's sounds like a great idea for a podcast.
2: Yes, yeah, good. Just call it screaming into the night. Yeah. Howling at the moon. Yeah. I oh, hang on, that one that idea's already taken. It's called Six Tackles with Gus.
1: But anyway. <laughs> no, that's the old man shouts at clouds. Yeah. I
2: did a tweet uh the other day. Congratulations. Said, Thanks. <laughs> Carry that's on. It. No, you've ruined it. you ruined it. No, no. I said, uh, I said, Phil Gould calls the game that he thinks is going on in his head, not the one that's actually going out in the field.
0: Because <laughs> he was like,
2: he'll say stuff like, I know the scoreboard doesn't say it, but this team is up by so much. It's like, what are you talking about?
0: <laughs>
1: I heard a great line today um, by Greg Alexander. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've got no issue with Greg Alexander, but every now and then he comes out with a line where you... You know he meant to say something, and he's lost track of his uh, thought process, and he's gone, yeah. I just need to finish this sentence and move on. Yeah. And he said, regarding, I think it was a kick by Reed, Reed Money, which was a 40-20 today. Yep, yep, great kick. He said, that kick was in the air until it hit the ground. Yeah. <laughs> <All right. laughs> you moved on from that one fast, Brady, and that's the right thing to do.
2: <laughs> technically, he was right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Classic commentary. Yeah. Who do you reckon says the weirdest shit? Like, I see I see Blocker Roach, Roach say some things that leaves me scratch my head. Like, he'll be talking about um, Drinkwater, how he's the best player in the Cowboys and how skillful he is and how great he is. And I'm watching Drinkwater play and I'm like, this is the worst player in the NRL,
1: just easily, not even close. Yeah, Blocker's interesting because um, he's, he's passionate. There's no doubt about that. Mm. And that makes him somewhat entertaining. He also has this penchant for uh, trying to replicate English, you know, rhyming slang. Oh, yeah, he does too, doesn't he? A few years ago when he first came back to Fox Sports, it was fucking irritating. Thankfully, he's wound it back an awful lot. Yeah. But um, he kept going on about, you know, rocky boulders instead of shoulders. Mm Mm-hmm. Vera Lynn's instead a Chin. Fuck, he said that nearly every week. Yeah, oh, he took that on the old Vera Lynn night, mate. You need to know your target audience.
2: It's like, like mate, this isn't Alfie, and you're not fucking Michael Caine. Shut the fuck up and call the game.
1: <laughs> exactly right. Um, I, I found him less grating, so yeah. that's probably a good thing for him. Yeah. Um, Break the Nastar. genius. He's a genius. I know um, some, a lot of people mock him. I don't think people realise he's there for comedy value.
2: The things that he says, it, it's satire of the highest order. Yeah. He's working on so many levels that it's hard to keep up. And you know what makes it so good is the fact that he does it deadpan.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh,
2: he's brilliant. He really is. He's a, you know, he's a
1: diamond in the rough. Yeah, Exactly. And then you've got um Matt Nable. I'm I'm very happy they don't have him doing commentary anymore. I want to get Matt Nable on and interview him. Hey, that'd be interesting. You talk yeah. about his talk about his uh, his his random number of thirteen footy games or something like that he played. Was it thirteen? Oh no, something. Like that. He didn't. He didn't play a huge amount, but he, he did play more than
2: Paul Kent. Oh, you know what? I'd love to get him on the podcast, and I reckon he'd come on. Because uh, I've got a couple of things I want to ask him about, but I want to ask him to do a, a voiceover about himself
1: as a player. That'd be easy. That'd be That'd great. Be... Actually, he he played eight games. Okay, who was it for? South. Uh, five for Manly. Yeah, and three for South. Okay, because I think of him as a South player. He was a lock. Yeah, his brother was Adam Nabel. Okay. Well, still is Adam Nable, obviously. <laughs> um, Adam Nable played 64 games between 95 and 2001. Played for Manly for one year, Bowman for three, the West Tigers for one, and one game for the Cowboys in 2001.
2: I don't remember Adam Nabel.
1: why? He was He was a... Um, he was a... More of a ball player. I think he's... The best way to describe him, I think, he's kind of like um, a slightly more skillful version of Darren Center. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, so he played uh, probably played the majority of his game as a hooker or a bench player. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I saw him play at lock a few times. So he's handy enough.
2: These are the conversations we normally have at like 3:30 in the morning
0: <laughs> yeah. after
2: the <Yeah>, podcast. <laughs> that's right. We we drag people into this now. Yeah. So anyway, let's have a talk about something that was talked about this weekend a lot, and that is how lopsided the competition supposedly is. And there were people that were saying, oh, the salary cap, is it working? And it's pretty clear that the salary cap is
1: working very well. Yeah. There's, the salary cap is working perfectly fine. This is not an issue with the salary cap. No. Okay. What did, if there's anything, it's an issue with um, some teams' inability... and. want to say some teams they've got these all of these issues combined and that is recruitment development inability to understand and uh the new rules Mm -hmm. and to build a style to make the most out of the new rules that's pretty much what it comes down to because the same teams who are failing with the you know dealing with the new rules and these new rules are not just this year they were in last year yeah and some of them came in in 2019 So it's the same teams that have been struggling since the back end of 2019 till now are the same ones who are not very good at managing their roster, their cap, and have got pretty poor development.
2: Yeah, so, like, let's look at the teams from bottom of the the ladder to the top. The first one, Manly Seagulls. Their recruitment's been the worst in the competition, I think, bar none. Like... You know, their their biggest name that they've really recruited in the last couple of years is probably Kieran Foran. And, like, I couldn't believe it when they signed him. The coach, you know, when he got there from being at Canterbury, it was a shock that they signed him, that anyone would sign him after what happened at Canterbury. And he had a a good start, but it's gone downhill ever since at a real rapid rate of knots. And you just look at their lineup. There's, I mean, there's half a dozen players in that team that aren't first-graders. And that's not a salary cap issue. That's a, you know, they're not developing players. They're not signing any good players. And, like, how how do you get in a position like that? It's really weird that no-one at the club would say, hang on a second, we've got to turn this around, and that no-one's really accountable for that.
1: No, the but... This is what Manly's been doing for a long time now is just treading water. hmm that's, that's the thing. They they just... Whenever they've had, like, one lean season, this is in the last 20 years. Yeah. They've always been really good at bouncing back and getting back into the finals. You know, Manly is just one of those clubs that has never really had this long gap. I'm to say long gap. It's not even that big. It's like, you know, four years. Yeah. They've it's very rarely they've ever had a gap of that many years in succession where they've not made the finals. This is the first time in their history that they've got this long run where I think they've only had one finals appearance in five or six years or something like that, which is equal with their worst ever run, which was back in the 40s when they first come along, 40s, 50s. -hmm. So they are historically around about the worst they've ever been. And the problem they've got is next to no developments taking place, their roster management is atrocious and they're just buying whatever they can find.
0: Mm.
2: And, and like horrible. the things that would normally get them out of the ruts they would fall in is they'd buy two or three really good solid first graders and they'd normally find somebody that was, you know, you know they'd bring in someone like a Craig Innes, you know, somebody that, you know, a former rugby union player or somebody that, you know, a Queensland Cup player, just somebody with experience. It wasn't even a youngster, and they're not doing that at the moment. And yeah, they i mean, their lineup is absolutely horrible. You take Dziga out of that lineup, and I reckon that there are teams in the New South Wales Cup that could be Manly.
1: Yeah, they're they're very weak. They had too many big losses in the off season. Yeah, you know, losing Adam for Noah Blake was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and they picked up Alloy from the Tigers, and they've basically been playing him off the bench. So you've you've lost a starting front row and replaced him with a bench front row. Mm. So you've weakened a spot already. Um, they've they're still persisting with playing Dylan Walker at fullback. He's just not up to it. No, no, I no. don't. And I'm not going to be fully. Critical of Dylan Walker because he's like so many players now who have a bit of speed, have a bit of ball playing ability, and so coaches go, "Oh, I'll just play you anywhere." And so he's not been able to sit in one position and, and nail it down. He's had to play a bit in the halves, he's playing in centres, playing a bit at fullback. And you see they're all very different roles nowadays. You can't just throw a bloke there and go, "Oh yeah, he'll be right. He'll he'll play a nine out of ten for us every week." You know, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, and there's a a point where, if you develop a
2: player so that they're a jack of all trades and a master of none, that makes that player play at a level that is utterly replaceable when you do get a full time player in that position. Yep. You know, and Moses buys is a really great example of that. That he could he could play most positions on the field outside of in the pack, but if you've got any any specialist in those positions you would rather have them in place of Mumbai, because Mumbai is he covers a lot of positions but he's not really great at any of them
1: that's right and yeah you're just creating a team full of tradesmen but none of anyone who has actually got any skills yeah they're just they're they're part-time players just doing the bare minimum to help the team out because that's all they know how to do because they never get a chance to actually nail the position down. I mean, and by's a good example. He's played centre, full-back, 5'8", half-back, and he spent the off-season training at hooker, mm. and he hasn't played hooker yet. And now he's, you know, today's game, he was playing as a, you know, ball-playing middle forward, and he's just not built for that. No. He, he's good in attack doing that, but defensively he, he's not built for that. No. And so, yeah, it's just another position that's been thrown at him that he's now got to cover. It's just, it's just another thing that weakens, him. I mean, in the past, and I'm talking 20 years ago, that was very much an asset. Having mm-hmm. a utility player like that, you could, you put them on the bench and they, you could put them anywhere. They were, you know, Craig Wings, a perfect example. You could play him anywhere. And they were a great asset to have coming off the bench, but the game doesn't work that way anymore. No, no. And and also, like, when you think of the best
2: utility players off the bench, the time they are at their best was pretty small. And, you know, the very best of them should have been starters. And they end up, usually end up being, like, hookers because they have the speed to like cover in the backs and stuff and their defense is normally not too bad yeah and it just ends up seeing them translating to being not so much a utility player as a an extra hooker off the bench and that look that's what happened
1: to craig wing as well that's right and yeah. you just need them to be in the team somewhere mm. um see so yeah, it's there's too many of those sort of players getting around at clubs these days, and they're typically at the poorer clubs yeah, and now let's move on to the bulldogs.
2: The bulldogs obviously are still cleaning up the Raylene castle des haslam
1: mess well, actually you know what mm. we've mentioned this a few times off you know, off air when we've discussed what we want to you know what we're going to do an episode on mm-hmm. and one of them was rugby league myths. And I'm wondering just how much is actually left from that drama. I think Mm -hmm. they might be riding on it a little bit because I don't think they've got that much left over from those days now. See, the way I,
2: I feel about it is that under those two, their junior development, which has never been great at the Bulldogs, stopped, completely stopped. And so I think what we're seeing is the effect of that Coupled with them, just I mean, they only really got out of Florence contract last year. And I, I do, I feel like there's a bit of a hangover from that. But, it like, that you know, as you say, there's not many players left from that era.
1: But I do think the hangover's still there. Oh, the hangover's still there, but I don't think much of it is... I don't think there's much remnants from that Rayleigh Castle days anymore. As you said, other than the junior stuff. But even still, yeah. they're not... Yeah, they've got new management in place now, or they've got management after the new management in place now. (laughs) Who knows where they're up to now? So for me, there's no excuse why they shouldn't have already had a lot more junior development come through. They're still buying players from other clubs, though. Like they've bought in Corey Allen, Nick Kotrick. They've got Josh Adokar coming. These are all players that they're buying in from other clubs. So they're they're still choosing to buy players and bring them to the club instead of develop and bring through their own juniors. And so, thing, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, so I, I think they're they're building their own um, misery at the moment. They can't See, go around blaming Raylene for it all the time now. she, You know, that, I think that period's gone.
2: Well, the thing that gets me about the Bulldogs is that last year, Dean Pay had a much worse squad to deal with.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And they were, you know, they weren't very good, obviously, but they tried their guts out in defence. And this year, Trent Barrett has come in his background as a first grade coach is abysmal. Uh, he he's always felt like he's been a first grade coach and almost entitled to it, which I found really weird. And he's made them worse. He's made them worse in almost every area. And he's got a far better team. He's got a lot more first graders in this team. And you know, you can like their junior development is garbage. Absolute garbage. It's terrible. But then you also look at adding the decision of bringing in a coach who his last role as a head coach ended in not only drama, but failure. And, you know, at some point you can't really be surprised that they're second last on the ladder.
1: No, this is right. And, uh, could I just say stats wise, Mm he is closing on, closing in on a thousand days without a win as a coach in first grade. That's pretty rough he's, uh let's see he's currently at nine hundred and sixty eight days oh at, the, at this rate it, it looks like he'll get there easy so he's got he's got a month a month left yeah. um uh, 'cause his last win was twenty eighteen round twenty two and that was when he was coaching manly and they beat the bulldogs that so cheap he doesn't have the bulldogs to beat now he's running them. Man, that's a rough one. Okay, so
2: the next cuz we've talked a lot about the Bulldogs in the past, so the next one's the Cowboys, who once again, they their junior development has fallen right off. I feel like they they had a very good premiership winning team, and my feeling is the club said to Paul Green, "We trust you completely," and that trust was probably misplaced because the roster just rotted away to the point where I think even though they're third last on the ladder, I don't think there's any question that they've got the worst lineup in the competition.
1: Especially now without Tom, Tom Alolo on the side. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to say this, though. I think signing Todd Payton was the right move, and mm-hmm. I think Cowboys need to make sure that they do, they make it clear they're not sacking him, you know, before his contract ends. Yeah. Because I think what he's trying to do at the moment He's made the players accountable for the first time in a long time there. And I think he's he's on the verge of building the roster he wants. I think a large reason why they got rid of Paul Green is because they know they've got, I think they've got about 10 or 11 players off contract at the end of this year. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be able to to completely reshape their roster at the end of this year.
2: And they need to because, like, Mm. I, I look at this team, this Cowboys team right now, and I'm like, okay, they need halves. They need a fullback. They need some centers. They need some back rowers. They could use an extra front rower. And if they got a, a, a hooker, that would be handy as well. But outside of that, they don't need
1: much. <laughs> I think I think if they had a good pair of creative halves, they do not need a uh, fullback. I think Holmes will be fine if they've got a creative pair of halves. You struggle with Valentine Holmes at fullback if you don't have any creativity coming out of the house because he's not he's not a playmaker fullback. He's just sort of fullback you get who will chime into the back line. He might he, he can throw a pass at the end, draw and pass, or he can run at the line. That's an, that's gonna be the maximum of what you get out of him um as a playmaker. Um so if they've got some creative players at six and seven. You can you can keep Holmes at fullback, and there's no drama. Um, hookers though, they've struggled with that. Mm. Robson looks good, but uh, I don't know. I don't know what they what they do there. As you said, their forwards are are a bit of a mess.
2: So the weird thing about the Cowboys is you you look at some of their players and you go like. Have they got something here that... Oh, no. Oh, no. That's terrible. <laughs> like, and all of their players seem to do that outside of Tamalola. Like, it, it's kind of crazy that there's so many players. And, look, they've got they've got guys there like Cohen Hess. I would show him the door immediately. He's just bludgeoning around on the field
1: for them. Yeah. If I was uh, Todd Payton, I'd be saying to Cohen Hess, mate, I'm not going to say that you're playing for... Um, an NRL contract here. I'm saying you're playing for your career here because Mm -hmm. the way you've been playing the last few years, no club will pick you up. Yeah. So you need to prove that you deserve to be getting an NRL contract. Otherwise you better like cold weather, mate, because the only place that's going to sign you now is going to be someone in England. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Now, Um, the actually, the other thing I was going to point out too, which uh, I forgot to do with Manly is, and it ties in with the Cowboys is, Apparently there was an, an article during the week that said that the Manly board have approached Paul Green about helping Des Hasler with coaching. And I went, yeah, that's probably not the best person to go with.
2: Yeah. I always find it weird when, when teams go to coaches that have failed. And look, I understand the idea of, you know, sometimes a team fails for whatever reason, and it's not fully the coach's fault. I also understand the thing of, well, I've got experience, and Paul Green's a premiership winner. You can never take that away from him. No. But at the same time, I I find it weird when a club will go to a loser to try and get better.
1: Yeah. Is it the Knights have got Anthony Seabold on board? Yeah. What's that all about? Well, to his credit, I'm pretty sure Seabold was a pretty handy assistant coach. So it may not be a bad idea, just like John Cartwright was a very good assistant coach as well. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that's more where his niche lies. Who knows? But uh, I don't know if Paul Green spent that much time as an assistant coach. And given his inability to build a potent attacking side that doesn't have Jonathan Thurston in it, Mm -hmm. I don't know why you take him to Manly where they've got less attacking power than what, the Cowboys had when he was there, yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know what they think Paul Green's going to bring to that team. He's definitely not going to bring any defensive ability. He's not going to bring any attacking ability. So I don't know what they think they're going to get from him. He's just another version of Des Hasler. Like, yeah, having he, two Des Hazlers make them twice as twice. <laughs> I don't, I don't get it. Does it make them twice as
2: good or twice as inept? <laughs> just twice as dull to watch.
1: <laughs>
2: oh. So. The fourth last on the ladder is your West Tigers. We've talked about them for about a 1,000 hours. Yeah, I think uh, we've covered them. Yeah, but one of the big things, once again, junior development has been terrible, especially considering the area they've got. Their recruitment has been very, very, very bad.
1: For a and, long time.
2: Yeah, and can't blame Mark McGuire. He's actually doing a really good job with what he's got to work with. But, you know, there's a theme here. You go to the Broncos. Now, the Broncos, actually, you could say, pretty good junior development, but terrible coaching, and they probably made the mistake of going too young too quickly. I think it's fair to say. And oh, I'm not saying terrible coaching with Walters, because, I, I, you know, Walters... Wait, hasn't done enough yet. Right, but I'm talking about the previous coach.
1: So I wouldn't mind checking out to see when... Because I think right now the Broncos have two or three feeder clubs. Mm-hmm. I'll try and find out when they went from just one to two or three Yeah, and see if there's any link between that and um, their downturn in form. Because I think it was more of a recent thing. And I, I wonder if that's had an impact because it means that the club's, um, you know, recruitment and development people are no longer just looking at one direction or looking at one straight, clear pathway. They're trying to look at, like, three different streams all flowing into the club. Yeah. You can't be in three places at once. You no, know? no. And I it, wonder if it, maybe they're just waiting on less experienced people giving them feedback on who should get a chance in NRL and who shouldn't, and that's just led to a few bad decisions on development. And, you know, they're not developing enough of, into the right players. They're just developing little bits and pieces here, there, and everywhere, and they're getting little bits of here, there, and everywhere (laughs) trickling into the team. You know, it's just something seems wrong somewhere in that junior development because it's never been like that before. The the thing is, though, like the talent, the raw talent, I think is still there for the Broncos. Oh, yeah.
2: But but it's just not being developed fully. Like it's, you know, some of their outside backs are finally starting to hit their straps, but the forwards haven't really worked out for them. The halves have been a mess for them. For I, I'm willing to say the last time that the halves weren't a mess for them, they were being carried by Darren Lockyer. Like, it's been a long time now. And, Hang on, you're
1: you know, saying Shane Perry wasn't that great a halfback.
2: I'm saying Shane Perry was not that great of a halfback. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Shane Perry would say, you know what? I wasn't that great of a halfback, but have a look at my premiership winner's ring.
0: Yeah, and good
2: on him for it. Um, exactly. Now, we're up to the Warriors. Now, the Warriors have been really bad for a long time. And I think, once again, their junior development has not been very good for quite some time, Uh, especially for the the area that they've got to work with in New Zealand, where we've seen what the Warriors can do when their junior development is on song. They've got too much talent. It's ridiculous, and they should be ashamed of it. And
1: it's not been like that for the last probably five years. Yeah, and look, I think this is one thing that they have got right in the off season. Um, I've I've been a critic of feel good in a lot of different areas, but I think one thing we can all agree on is that when it comes to junior development, he knows what he's doing. You've only got to look at Penrith, and not just mm-hmm. Penrith now, but Penrith when he went there in what was it nineteen ninety?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, he brought a lot of young, a lot of young Panthers juniors into that side, and they won a premiership very quickly, and he. Yeah, you know, he built them up from that and they became, from then, they became a club that always tried to, you know, promote from within instead of just trying to buy squads all the time. Sure, there was moments when they did that, but they still always had a pretty solid trickle of, of juniors coming through to the team, no matter who was coaching them. Yeah, it's hard not to, given the area they've got. Yeah. Um, so I think that was probably a smart move, but... Nathan Brown as coach, I'm still, I don't know. The Warriors are doing all right at the moment, uh, you know, on the ladder. But I just, I don't, I don't know. Nathan Brown's a tricky one for me. Like we, we all know he, he was at the Knights when they were pretty average. Yeah. Well, was shit. Um, a lot of that's not his fault. Uh, and in the end... He did leave the club in better condition than when he started there. And he does have a tendency to do that. And I know we can only go on what he did you know, over in England. But he did leave Huddersfield in a better position than when he got there. And he did leave St Helens in a better position than when he got there. So he he does know how to make things better. But I think the problem he's got is I don't think he knows how to get a team to be in the finals consistently at the NRL level and make them a powerhouse. I think he's kind of following in the Brian Smith footsteps. You know, I can put the broom through a place and get your roster in a decent nick and give you uh, a salary cap you can work with in a few years' time so you can replace me and the next coach comes in and just walks into everything's done. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I think that's kind of what he is. I'm not sure if that's what the Warriors needed or not, but, I mean, that's what they've got now. So maybe... You know, we'll we'll see. I, it's it's a bit early to tell. There's, there's yeah, the jury's still out on it. Like yeah. I
2: think he's de- he's definitely got them playing better, which is not difficult really, but yeah. they they definitely seem like, and I know they got flogged on the weekend, but they feel like they've got a little bit more constitution about them. They don't give up as easily. Um, I I've been actually impressed by the fact that they've they've got the size of the side that they have, but they haven't been completely lapped. So. And, yeah, the jury is still out. It's very early to see. But the, I think the thing is then you don't look at them now and think, man, this, these guys are hopeless, which is a big step for the Warriors.
1: Yeah. And uh, they've always had a knack for losing the games they should win. Yeah. They've got two games coming up in the next two weeks where they should be good enough to beat them. That's mainly in the Dragons.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: if they win both of those games, they then go and play Melbourne. And they've got a pretty a pretty okay record against Melbourne, especially compared to what other teams have got. Yeah. And after that, they've got the Cowboys and Manly. They should be looking pretty damn good on the ladder by the end of round nine. Yeah, they've just got to get the results.
2: And, yeah. and like, interest and run of five games, that. Yeah. So the next club is the Knights. We know where they've come from. And I think it's fair to say that for the most part, they've pulled themselves out of the quagmire with good junior development and some pretty decent buys, like not over-the-top buys, but just bringing in solid first graders. And I've always felt that's the way you build a premiership winning club. I know that's the way the Panthers have always done it. You you bring in juniors and then you finish it off with a couple of good buys. I'm not saying the Knights are a premiership winning club, but – it's definitely been the way they've gone about things the team above them the titans they've gone from being terrible but what did they do right they started bringing through a few junior players that have been very good for them made a couple of shrewd buys and you go up through the list the next one's the sharks or they've been doing great the last you know 18 months the storm above them they've always been fantastic with producing talent the Dragons—they're a bit of a different case. They've not been great in a lot of areas, but you know Anthony Griffin's turned them around. He's got to be given credit so far because he's working with less than McGregor ever had in any season he had at the Dragons.
0: Well,
1: this is the thing. I'm, I'm not, I'm not sold on the Dragons yet because let's be honest, they've beaten the Cowboys and Manly, mm-hmm. um, two of the worst teams in the comp at the moment, and then. Um, the Knights on Sunday in... That was probably their best performance, given that they didn't have Ben Hunt in the side. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Newcastle were prestiged by injuries too in that game, so they probably should have won it just through, you know, perseverance. Um, We'll see how they're going this weekend, because they'll be playing Parramatta. Yeah, that's going to be a test for them.
0: Mm.
1: But... Their their junior development is getting better there's no doubt about it they're starting to get a few more uh juniors in there that are you know more local talent mm-hmm. some of their recruitment is still average
0: yeah it um, is
1: so we'll we'll see how they go um I was just gonna say on the Knights too, one thing I think that Adam O'Brien did that was a really smart play, which has not got any mention whatsoever, is making Jaden Brayley captain. Because that's a massive game. I think he only played like three games before he got his injury last year. Is yeah. that um but he's got a really really mature head on his shoulders for a young bloke. Mm-hmm. Um he does a mountain of work in the middle. Good good ball runner from dummy half, does a lot of defence. So he's genuinely leading from the front, and he's got the always oh, got the ball in his hand, obviously because he's a dummy half. And I think, I think that's been a really smart move. He's got, he's just a, a much calmer head running the club around the field. You just hope every time he runs the ball. I just think, please don't
2: get injured, because you know if you get some football under his belt, it, he's just going to get better and better and better. And like he's the thing I like about him is he really knows when to run the ball.
1: Yeah, he's really good at it. Mm. Um I do think his younger brother's better than him in attack. Mm-hmm. But Jaden is a much better defender. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, they're both very good players. Very, very good players.
2: So we we've gone through like most of the ladder now. We know who everyone that's at the top. The salary cap's not the problem. So do we have to look at the way that teams are allowed to put teams to get their, their squad together. And does he, do you reckon the NRL needs to bring in some sort of... Because Souths have talked about this with uh, Adam Reynolds. They've said that there's not enough incentive for long-serving players to get contracts that have some sort of discount. Now, I think that's a smokescreen because they just don't want to play, pay Adam Reynolds, and I don't know why. But do you think that there should be some more incentive or do you think there should be like a flat-out rule that, you know, say the NRL bumps up, it's, you know, how much it gives to clubs from the central funds to, say, 15 million bucks a year eventually when the new TV deal comes in, that they say you've got to spend at least 1.5 of that on junior development. Do you think there needs to be something like that? Um, I,
1: I think the best way to work it is mm-hmm. to just let the club pay the players whatever they want, okay? If you're a junior, say Adam Reynolds, okay, Instead of, I don't know if this is how it works, I assume it is, is that the NRL says, okay, we're going to give you a set amount of money as a credit back because Adam Reynolds is a junior, but it's not a huge amount. Instead of the NRL parting with money, why don't they just say, we will waive this percentage of Adam Reynolds' fee? so you still pay him the full amount, but only, say, 85% of it counts in your salary cap. Well, like, I mean, we and we've talked about this before, like Cameron Smith... In the last few
2: years of his career, I would have, as an opposition fan, I wouldn't have had any problems if he didn't count $1 against the Storm salary cap because he's been there from day one of his career. He never moved clubs. He's always been a Storm player. And at the end of his career, it shouldn't be about money. And I feel as though Adam Reynolds is pretty close to that sort of area. I don't know if you're maybe you put a limit on it where you've got to be 32 or something like that. And Reynolds isn't quite there yet. But I think that when you're at the end of your career, if you've been at one club and you're a local junior with that club, you should not count towards the salary cap if you're a
1: 32-year-old and you're still there. Yeah, I, I can see the the argument for that. I think, I think to be fair, I'd, I'd like to see a majority of their salary included in the cap. Mm-hmm. Just because you know there'll be people who will whinge all the time. Imagine you <laughs> imagine if the Panthers keep their squad as as it is for another eight years, everyone will be going, You know, oh, the Panthers only spent seven dollars of the salary cap this year.
2: <laughs> I quite like that idea, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So you know, it's I think you've got to keep a fair a fair whack of it in there. But wouldn't they Working get at the a great incentive of- though? Well, like oh. if
2: if people were looking at the Panthers in ten years from now and were like, "Man, that they just signed." Uh, you know, whatever the equivalent of Jason Tamalolo is at the time in the, to the Panthers because they just saved $3 bucks in salary cap payments because all of these plays are local juniors and they're still playing there. Like that would make teams start to really put money into their local junior competitions.
1: I suppose, I mean, the, the tricky part is going to be, and this is probably going to apply more for Melbourne than anybody else, mm. is what counts as your junior development. Like, yeah. should that should that for them be players who have come through their junior systems that have got set up in Queensland or ones that they've got set up in Melbourne? Well, does it have to be the same for
2: every club? Like, say say the Melbourne Storm had a a, a real Melbourne-born local junior that come through their system, stayed at the Storm, right, and come into first grade because there's so few of those players, I think they've had two like that in the whole time they've been in Melbourne. What if their salary only counted 50% after five years? Like, does it need to be the same for every single club? Or do we have to have different incentives for different clubs?
1: I I think it'd be possible to make it the same everywhere over. Um, yeah, it's it's something that could definitely be done. I think... I mean, there, there had been talk many years ago that, that you know, the NRA should probably look at putting notional values on players. And they did. I think when we did the salary cap episode, mm-hmm. they dabbled in that idea back then. Yeah. Because there was that whole drama with Dale Shearer and how Brisbane were going to pay him well, almost half amount, as much money as what Manly were paying him. Yeah. I mean, how can you do that? He's he's a test and origin player. How can you give him a pay cut just because he wants to go to Brisbane? And so maybe there's some merit in that, although it's very hard to do because one player is going to be worth a lot more for one club than they are another. Yeah. You know, like um, Brandon Smith is going to be worth less to the Melbourne Storm because they've got Harry Grant, who can play hooker. He's going to be worth a lot more to a a team like the West Tigers or the Bulldogs because they don't really have, you know, well, they don't have an international hooker at the club, so Mm -hmm. to speak. So, you know, it's 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 a tough one to work with. There, I I
0: don't
1: don't think
2: there's a hard and fast. Like you couldn't, there's nothing you can say. I think they should do this, and this is the way forward because there's so many different scenarios across this
1: competition for so many different reasons. Yeah, and I mean, if you go and put notional values on a player, then you're you're effectively capping what a player can earn. Like you could probably argue that. Thirteen NRL clubs probably would say that Moses and Bo is only worth three hundred grand.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, he's the Tigers paying him you know eight nine hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, and irrespective of what I think of him, if he can get himself an eight hundred thousand dollar contract, he should be allowed to. Yep. Um, so I don't think notional values is is a way to go. Um, maybe a notional minimum so that clubs aren't ripping players off, but I dare say that's in place anyway. Um, yeah, it's a tricky one. I, I've always thought that the best way to go about it is to just have a percentage of their of their um wage not included in the cap. So that way the club the club is the one paying the player. Yeah. So it comes down to the club being smart with their money. The NRL's not parting with any of their money, which is good for grassroots footy. And you know, then the players getting all the money that they feel they deserve and the club's not being penalized for playing. You know, if, if, if it was Melbourne, they had Cameron Smith and Cameron said, you know, I want $1.2 million a year. And Melbourne goes, well, that's fair enough.
0: Mm.
1: But the NRL says, you know what? Cause he's been there the whole of his career. We'll only count 50% of it. Yeah. Melbourne can just go and give him $1.2 million. Cameron Smith gets $1.2 million. The storm only have 600,000 counted in their cap. The NRL doesn't spend any money. To me, yeah. that's a system where everyone's happy.
2: I agree. Like, you look at someone like Tal Malolo, I think he's coming off contract when he's 28, 29, something like that, from that massive deal he signed, which was a 10-year deal. Yeah. He's been there since he was a teenager, what he started when he was, like, just 17 in the NRL. And, like, he should be able to re-sign with the Cowboys, where the Cowboys say, oh, other teams are offering you a million. We can offer you one point four and you're only a million bucks on the cap anyway. Like yeah. it should be something along those lines and it should never come down to that balance in act that I think we're seeing a little bit at the uh, Rabidos, but I, I also think there's something else going on there where you've got this player that's been there his whole career and he's a, a, he was a junior player for the club. He come through, he's never played anywhere else and they have to weigh up the offer. It should never come to weighing up
1: the offer. I think, the, the drama at South is more that I'm fairly sure, and this is going to sound weird given that they signed Benji Marshall, but mm. I'm fairly sure Wayne Bennett's not a huge fan of having too many players on long contracts who are over 30. Yeah. So Adam Reynolds has made it pretty clear he wants to sign, a, I think, a three-year deal. South have made it pretty clear they don't want to sign any 30-year odds for deals longer than two years. Yeah. So I think that's kind of all that this is over. Is just getting the right length deal. Uh, Reynolds is thirty-one at the moment, so it's just a tricky sort of area. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he does pick up a three-year deal. It'll be two years plus one year in the club's, you know, in the club's way, I guess, at yeah. South. I dare say that's what will happen.
2: It, it, and you know, if I was South, I, I would say, "Look, you do this deal if you're still think, still think you're good enough to play." At this high, high level, that new Brisbane team's going to need a halfback. You'll get your money. Like he's going to get the contract. It's just a matter of if his body stays together. And that's weird because, you know, I we're seeing different. We're not seeing consistency with how long players are able to play for. So you see someone like a Cameron Smith, who I reckon he could probably put on a footy jersey right now and play a decent game. You saw someone like a Paul Gallen, who wow. Who I don't even know how he was able to play for so long. It's like some sort of miracle ceremony took. Um, but there's certain players that can play for a long time. And then others who, you look at Michael Morgan, it, when it's over, it is just over.
1: Yeah. It's um, the thing, tell me, Adam Reynolds has played at least 20 games in each of the last four seasons. So his body seems to have righted itself. Yeah. You know, he's not missing many games anymore. No. Um, he, only, he had two seasons, 2015, 2016, where he played 18 and 16 games respectively. And they were pretty stop-startish sort of affairs. But he's been pretty good since
2: then. But the thing that really hurt him too was that there were a couple of years there where he got injured just as a final started. Yeah. And so yeah. that's the hangover you have when you think of Andrew Reynolds is like, Oh, it the world's on fire, it's around twenty-five. He's absolutely killing it, but is he going to be playing in the finals? Like you just can't help but think that with him.
1: You just go rest him. <laughs> they, they, yeah, yeah, you would have to give him two weeks' rest. He'll be fine. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Chat that whole, you know, what I suppose what makes players uh, makes clubs function the way they do. Mm. I think. This is the interesting thing that I've mentioned before about the West Tigers is the fact that every other club has had, you know, wooden spoons and they've struggled and had weak, you know, weak runs and stuff like that. But all of them within five years have made the finals. Yeah. Tigers have never had a wooden spoon and very rarely do they make the finals. For some reason, they never go to the absolute depths of misery. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they never ever go and do a complete rebuild. And so they just tread water and languish just outside the eight. And you just go going... again, it comes down to bad management from the club. You, it's not always what goes on on the field. It's not what goes on in the coach's box. There's just something going on in the back office yeah. or the front office, whatever they want to call. I don't care where the office is. It could be around the fucking corner. Who knows? <laughs> um, <laughs> but... They're a classic example of how it's not the people on the field because they've had a lot of roster changes. It's not the coaches because they've had a shitload of the number of those. The results don't change. Something's wrong elsewhere, and the one thing that's been wrong for a while there has been not enough local juniors coming through. Yeah, for, barely any. For the size of the area, like yeah,
2: for the size of the area, people should be saying, oh, you know." It, it, it's unfair to, because the likes of the Panthers, the Broncos, and the West Tigers have those huge areas that they deal with. That's what it is. So, yeah. where what's the deal with their local juniors? Like, why aren't they producing a, as many local juniors as the Panthers?
1: There's no reason why they shouldn't be. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, I'm just looking through the current roster and trying to find out what their local juniors are. I think Luke Brooks. Adam Dewey, I think, but he he then got signed by South. Uh Luke Garner, uh Kapawawa, uh
0: Jacob Little, Thomas McKay, Noffel Tommy Talao. That's pretty much it. And like you lined and it
2: you lined that up with the ones that Pan, the Penrith Panthers have. But then also line it up with the ones that the Panthers have playing around the league. Like, it's ridiculous. And mm-hmm. they should be, if not the same, I mean, the West Tigers should be at the very worst 80% of that level.
1: Yeah, there's no reason why they shouldn't be doing a lot better. And, mm-hmm. you know, in 2005 when they made the grand final, they had a ton of local juniors in this team. Mm-hmm. Case in point, it's not the
2: salary cap. No, I'll tell you another... Good thing with the salary cap, you go through the competition and you look at the teams that have, at the very least, made the semifinals, the the second last weekend of the season. And you go through, Panthers have, Eels have, Roosters have, Rabbitohs have, Raiders have, Dragons have, Storm have, Sharks have, the Titans have, I think it was like about eight years ago or something. Um, The Knights have, the Warriors have, the Broncos have, The West Tigers have got to go back a little bit further. The Cowboys were champions just like a handful of years ago. The Bulldogs, they were in the grand final not that long ago. Seagulls were grand finalists not that long ago. Like, if the salary cap wasn't working, you would see the same clubs at the bottom all the time. And in the short term, it can feel like it. You can think to yourself, wow, what about the Bulldogs? But if you look over 10 years... Well, these clubs all get circulated. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that the Roosters were down at the bottom bottom of the salary, of, of the ladder. I mean, the Broncos, they got a wooden spoon. You know, whoever thought that would happen. That's the way the salary cap works. You're going to go have good seasons. You're going to have bad seasons. You need a bit of luck to go your way. And the thing to me that cancels out all of the luck and the you know, can we sign the right person, do we have the right coach, have local juniors that produce good talent because if you're doing that
1: it just is a safety net That's exactly right it's your well it's if anything it's kind of a cheat around the salary cap It really is it really really
2: is like I look back to the worst seasons that Penrith ever have that I've seen myself where that was that 2000 sort of 2001 season we were terrible we we had a we had some dudes in our team that were flat out reserve graders on their very best day but because we had local juniors come through and I remember the games that they'd play in and I was like man we got these two wingers are pretty good and we've got a front row that's not too bad you know and and you start getting those guys come through and two or three seasons later all of a sudden if there's six of them that have come through you might not be a great team anymore but if you're just outside of the eight if you come 12th or something and you start thinking to yourself we signed a couple of decent first grade players and get our coaching sorted, we're in the finals. And that's that Like that should be the lowest ebb for a club, is that you th- you're thinking to yourself, we just need a couple of juniors to come through and maybe a decent signing here or there and we'll be a finals team. That should be as low as it gets. And if you're worse than that, something's gone wrong.
1: Yeah, that's all right. Um, or if you're just languishing. Yeah, yeah, and it never changes. Yeah. Yeah, that's just the way a lot of clubs are. I think a lot of teams now get worried too when they've got players over the age of 30, which is just nonsense.
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. that experience is just so vital. I mean, you you look at most teams that have won a premiership in the last 10, 15 years, and most of them have got a great mix between um, young talent, a bunch of blokes in their mid to late 20s at the peak of their career,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and a handful of 30-year-olds. You've got that experience, you've got peak players, and you've got exciting young talent, and they all work together. And that's usually the combination that works to bring premierships. Uh, One of the few exceptions to that rule, and it's not quite an exception, was the 2016 Sharks because they had a lot more of the experienced players Mm -hmm. and not too many young, exciting players. But they had a big chunk of players that were in their mid-20s. And so they still had a lot of players at the peak of their career. So the sort of, you know, the window was just, it was right for them anyway. But typically you do need to have that combination of all three. And if you've got the balance out of whack, you, you will struggle in some area somewhere. Um, and I think that that was exactly what
2: one of the big problems was with the Broncos and still really is that yeah. too young, too young and too old. They didn't have those middle ground players. Um, I always think that it, the perfect scenario, if you're looking for long-term success, is what you saw with the 1990-91 Panthers, where it was a, a relatively young side, but they weren't super young. They were experienced, but still on the youthful side. And then they added a couple of, you know, hard-headed professional players to that. And I feel like that was the biggest similarity between that Panthers team And the Panthers team last year, we had a a younger Panthers side in terms of the overall age of it. But then you had, like, Tamo in there as well and just some, you know, some hardened first graders, some hardened professionals. And when you've – that mix is so vital because you, you just go a bit too young and it falls apart. You go a bit too old and you get that scenario at Newcastle where everyone just retires and you've got no one all of a sudden.
0: Yeah,
1: The problem the Broncos are going to have is they've got a bunch of players who are all going to get old at the same year. And so they've got what happened at the Knights as a potential long-term end point, so to speak.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So that's why they need to, now more than anything else, get their junior pathway set up. Start identifying those 15 and 16-year-olds. So by the time they're 20 and ready to come into the NRL, most of their current squad are in their late 20s. So you're starting to bring through the new talent at the right speed then.
2: Um, I also think that there's certain clubs where they, and the Eels are the big one, they have their great white hope and they come along every so often and they'll say, this is the chosen one. And whenever a club does that, it's always failed. Who's the great white hope? Well, (laughs) for for Parramatta, it's the next Peter Sterling, the next Peter Sterling. And then for the Broncos, it's been like, I mean, even now they're like Deirdre. Wait till Deaden plays Deirdin, Deirdin, Deirdin. and didn't. It's like many years have had half a dozen of these next Alan Langers that have come along, and it, it's never the next Alan Langer. You're like, you gotta, you've got to just not lock in. Like they they spent so much money on Anthony Milford because he was the next great white hope for them, and it just didn't turn out that way. And I think that some clubs need to stop trying to find that thing, that elusive. Because if you've got a star player, you just know it. You're not hoping that they do something right. You just know you've got them.
1: Yeah, I think the problem they're going to have with Dearden is he is he is genuinely good, but they don't have the the outfit around him to you know support him. I guess and and the style of play he has. Yeah, yeah. They've got a few good forwards, but they don't have much forward depth. No. Um, and so he's not going to get a full 80 minutes with the support. So he's, he's not going to be able to have a brilliant 80 minute game too often. And yeah, that's, I think one of the worst decisions was getting rid of Josh McGuire. I'm not a huge fan of him. Um, you know, with his grubbiness and stuff like that, but I think he could have been one of those players you could have turned around just by saying, right, you're now captain lead by example. And Mm -hmm. I think he probably would have put his head down his bum up and said, okay, we're now going to play, you know, hard but fair. We're not going to do grubby shit. We need to start winning games. And you're not going to win games by eye-gouging and all sort of shit. Yeah. Um, And I think that probably could have been a smart move. I think he'd be more of the sort of a leader that the young Broncos players would take more attention of, uh, pay more attention to. I don't think they get that from Alex Glenn. See, I think that... Tamo would have been perfect for the for the Broncos.
2: He would have just, been. you know, just.
1: He's yeah, also you know, perfect for the Tigers, though, because they needed the same thing.
2: Exactly, and my guess is he didn't want to move out of Sydney. Yeah. Um, but just uh, someone that's been around, they they know what's needed. They don't even just someone that young players can see. Oh, that's
1: what being a professional football player is about. Yeah, you know. It could have had Maguire at lock as captain. And, I don't know, maybe they could have picked up Benji Marshall. Yeah, Benji Marshall's another one, yeah. Just some handy players to have around the club. Doesn't have to play every week. Doesn't have to be the starting team. Just needs to be in the squad. And that was the one thing that was really um, disappointing was how how the Broncos let Darius Boyd get kind of pushed out of the club he didn't really get pushed out, but you know they they allowed the media to completely berate him and and kind of blame him for a lot of the shit that went on at the club in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the team not winning games and stuff like that, and he's you know focusing on his form and not the whole team's form, that sort of thing. Because um, he's always a professional on the field, it would have been handy to have someone like that around the club. You know, the
2: thing that is worrying me about the Broncos right now is that they've, the holes in the club are so big. And as you say, they're mostly up front. And the halves, they, I mean, even they're still not sorted out. Jermaine Osako is finding his feet. He is starting to, He is starting to look like a star in the making. He's not there yet, but he looks like in two or three years' time, he could be a star. Xavier Coates is a little bit the same way. I think Jake Turpin also is like he's he's looking pretty handy for them.
0: Yeah. Perferby the Farnworth,
2: Ketony Stags. Oh, Farnworth is fantastic. Yeah. Stags, it wants it's a shame he's getting injured so much. Yeah.
1: But I think the their back five are perfectly fine. It's just mm, everybody else. The thing that's worrying me though is
2: do they get to a point where these youngsters make them steps to become star players? And the Broncos have not lifted their game in other areas, so you get get that David Fafita scenario where he says, "Man, I don't like this. I'm out of here for big bucks." And like David Fafita is like he's the opposite of the Gordon Talis move, where you know the the Dragons it was for a very long time it was like, "Man, how they let a Gordon Talis leave?" You know, I I know why he left, but how could they let that happen? And he went to the Broncos and was a stable of their team for a, a long time.
0: Mm.
2: It's it, Now it's the other way. It's where, man, how did the Broncos, like, why didn't the Broncos just sit down and somebody say, hey, you pay him a million bucks? Shut up and pay him the money. Who else are we paying this money to? Like, just yeah. pay him the money. That's what they should have done. And that is going to be one of the, for a long time, they're going to regret that move.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, Especially when you see how he started the year, ah, oh,
2: every time you see him run, it's like and the crazy thing is how young he is like he if this was him at twenty eight years old in the peak of his career, you'd be like, man, he turned into a good player <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: you think man he's still going get he's still going to get better, yeah, he's phenomenal. it's incredible, oh, it really is oh, uh, what else has been going on in the world of rugby league? Because that's been some pretty thorough chat right there.
2: Yeah, it has. Uh, Mitchell Pierce is out for ten weeks with a a torn what they're calling a pectoral. Um,
1: is so that the same one he tore last time, or is it the other side?
2: I'm not sure if it's the same one or not. I've got no idea. But ten yes. weeks is a, ten weeks for him. It, I could see where the Knights could move beyond needing him in that ten weeks.
1: Yeah, it's um. It's an interesting one. It's Because the problem the, the Knights have got is Blake Green now becomes their their main playmaker. And I don't think he's, well, I, I don't think anyone would say that he's as good as Mitchell Pierce. I think Mitchell Pierce is clearly better than Blake Green. Yeah. Um, because I think Blake Green was pretty much signed to be the six next to, next to Pierce and just take over some of the kicking duties.
0: <laughs>
1: That'd be about it. Um, I think the Knights are really going to need Pong to come back this week, but at the same time, they're not going to rush him back. Cause if they bring him back and he gets injured again, they're done. Yeah. They're stuffed. Yeah. So they, they've got to try and figure out what they do there, but they need some spark. Um, like part of me would,
2: part of me feels like the Knights should say to Mitchell Pearce, and he's going to need rehab and stuff like that. And yet, like I'm not saying to brush him, but part of me feels like you would normally want to be able to say to a player, "Look, you've had a really a rough offseason, you know, and we all know why. Go get do your rehab. We're here for you, but just take some time for yourself because this is an important part of your career now. You're either gonna you know, this is the part we've really got to work to keep your career towards the end of it. But I feel like that would not be the best thing for a Mitchell Pierce to say, "Go, go away for a little while." I think
1: that would not work for him. Yeah, see, that's I. We've seen them a few of these issues at the moment where we're looking at players in their thirties who could be looking at deciding whether an injury has ended their career. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we're now. Yeah, I don't know no one's saying it, but Mitchell Pearce could be looking at that. Not, I don't think it's the career-ending injury. I think it's more of an injury that could make it hard for him to get signed by another club because he's starting to look injury-prone in yeah. his thirties.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing. It's I think that in ten weeks from now, I could see where the Knights have learned to live without him on the field, and it you know it doesn't take long to be out of the spotlight. To where people say, oh, yeah, but he's past it. And I don't think Mitchell Pearce is past it. I think he could play for another five years at the right club. But it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much at all.
1: No, that's right. Um, So, yeah, there's there's also talk that, you know, as we mentioned earlier, Michael Morgan looks like he could be close to calling time on his career. Yep. Um, Jake Friend could be about to do the same. We haven't heard anything about um, Boyd Courtney yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if that follows as well. Yeah. So it's not the ideal way for players of their stature uh, and the careers that they've had to, you know, have their their careers end. Yeah, and, like, you look at, I
2: even think back to a Greg Inglis, who was the best fullback in the game until he retired. You know, And it just was over, was done. And, and his knee just, that was it. And he went and he retired and he's got the itch to play footy again. He's over in Warrington getting ready to play for them this year. And it, it, I always have found that an interesting point in a player's career. I always felt, felt like it was really interesting for a Brad Fittler where his athleticism wasn't what it used to be and his speed off the mark and stuff. And then you've got to transition to being something else. And we've talked about this a little bit. It's Benji Marshall, same thing. And I think that's where the true greats have the ability to say, look, I'm not that player anymore, but I've got all of these other things I bring to the table. And they have to almost relearn playing the game. Darren Lockie was the same where, you know, he, he changed the way he played the game. And... Or Instead of it being Lockyer coming out of the backfield, breaking through the line and stuff like that, he, he played super slow. And he was still too quick for everyone playing super slow because he was that great of a player. And some players can handle that. Some players can't handle it. And then some players just have it taken out of their hands through injury.
1: Yeah, so unfortunate.
2: Yeah, that's um, why Cameron <coughs> Smith was so crazy because – he just kind of seemed to do the same thing from start to finish.
1: Yeah. Really good um you know body management more than anything else like he just he just didn't get injured. Mm. Um yeah. Bit of a lighter thing to to end the episode on.
0: Okay.
1: I just had a look on Fox Sports website and they've got an article up as they do because it's something to shit on the game about. Ugly scenes as footage of a fight between NRL supporters emerges. Have Have you seen this?
2: I have seen the fight, yeah.
1: It's brilliant because it's between a Parramatta fan at the Parramatta West Tigers game and another Parramatta fan.
2: And then a West Tigers fan comes in from the side, c- c- kind of like the team makes no impact, but
1: he's still there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he participated. <laughs> this,
1: is, this is Parramatta competing against Parramatta and no one else, and West Tigers just pops up and goes, hey, we're here too, remember?
0: And they brush <laughs> him aside and go with
1: each other. Uh,
2: Weird one. The dude threw a punch at a guy sitting in a chair and did nothing to him. I'll tell you what,
1: though. The third line of this article
0: mm-hmm.
1: is why everyone should subscribe to Fox Sports because this is some brilliant sleuth work here. Mm-hmm. Bizarrely, the two men begin punching on who are both wearing Ills colours, suggesting they barrack for the same team. Wow. I never thought that.
2: I tell you what, they used to say Four Corners was the bastion of journalism in Australia. But when you can get to the bottom of that, well done, Fox Sports.
1: Yeah, that's, that's gone the next level, that is. Yeah. Um, great article, this, because it's, I mean, this is shorter than pretty much... James Hooper's articles. Really? Oh, you mean his blogs? Yeah, he's, he's whatever, whatever he considers um, paid work. That's like when you'd
2: see, like, you'd see a fight or something in a State of Origin game. And I'd be like, oh, I want, I want to chuck that on my website and show everyone. So I'd say, hey, here's a fight that was in the State of Origin game. Take a look. And that was it. That was the whole thing.
1: <laughs> That's a
2: lot. See, that, that would work. The most I've written about a fight on my website was the Robbie Farah Anthony Watts one, but that deserved every single word I said about it.
1: Oh, that was brilliant. That um, was just epic. This one has 99 words, including the heading. Wow, that's impressive. If you take the lengthy heading out, mm. it comes back to an 80-word article. That's that, I can't even be mad at that. That's really impressive. <laughs> they could have added two more words by putting their name to it.
2: <laughs> who are the poor bastards that aren't able to put their name to this stuff oh come on not even you rec- staff writers do you reckon that they do you reckon when they put it up they're like oh man i should be getting credited for this or do you reckon they're like thank god my name is not on this
1: yeah, I don't want people looking at that. I don't want some, some pissy podcast going, oh, look at this dickhead. He just wrote an article. It's only got yeah. 80 words in it.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's yeah, That shows how meaningless that news article is. Yeah, it wasn't much of
2: a fight either. It was just a, you know, there was just nothing happening, really.
1: Team Parramatta fans.
2: Yeah. I don't know how you get, anyone gets that angry at a footy
1: game, huh? Parramatta fans, that uh, uh, you know, I'll say I'll say this about some of them just to see if I, we get a bite. But yeah, you know, they're mm. used to losing big big bouts. So who do you who do you back in a fight between two losers?
2: Wow, well, <laughs> that was uncalled for.
1: Hey, my team got beat by him today, so yeah, it's called for. <laughs> yeah,
2: hey, maybe did... you know what I reckon. I'd love it if it come out that two Para fans started fighting and that West Tigers came in and said 2005! five," just ran <laughs> off.
1: <laughs> yeah, Paramount fans go, we don't... Yeah, we, went, we were in the finals last year, we forgot about 2005 already. Tigers go, oh, yeah, that's kind of a good point. Is that where some of the animosity comes from
2: between the two clubs? Because like Para nah. haven't won in since 1986.
1: Nah. The animosity I think comes from the whole Mitch Moses and Ryan Madison departures because the Tigers get really salty whenever a player leaves for some reason. And this is only, it's only a new thing that they've started doing. I don't know why. Mm. Um, I jump on board because it's just fun. The people, people often think that you've been serious, but now I, I'm, I make jokes about Mitch Moses just for the hell of it. I've got no gripe with him. I don't care if he wants to go and sign a contract with another club and make a shitload of money, fucking more power to him. <laughs> If uh, Ryan Madison wants to bitch and moan because training's too hard and wants to go play for another team, more power to him. Off you go. I see he's sooking now because he's probably been trained too hard by Brad Arthur. He wants another club. I'll keep making jokes about Ryan Madison. I don't care what fucking club he goes to.
2: <laughs> Tell you what, Para fans, I wouldn't take any of that. I would email us. Tell us what you think of Andrew Ferguson's Tyrate, that's what we should call. Tyrate. <laughs> so Andrew Ferguson's tire against Paramount <laughs> We talk about the salary cap and all this stuff it's... for an hour and a bit and then we just end it and we just do the clickbait
1: headline. It's the ultimate though in in you know pathetic banter. You know, a team that can't make the finals against a team who can't get who can't win a grand final. <laughs> well like I know my team isn't the greatest
2: in the world, right? But when I hear like, when it's like, what started this rivalry? And you start going, well, it started with Mitchell Moses and it went into Ryan Madison and I'm like, huh?
1: <laughs> I, look, I don't know if that's true, but for me, yeah. I think that's where it is. Yeah. And I think the only reason why I ever got interested in the whole Mitch Moses being moved over to the Tigers,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I, I didn't actually care that he left. I didn't think he was a player that the Tigers needed to keep
0: mm-hmm.
1: and still don't
0: mm-hmm.
1: purely because the way the Tigers were playing and still are playing doesn't suit Mitch Moses' style. So he had to go for his own benefit more than anything else. Yeah. But it was more the fact that his uncle Benny Lias had to chime in and start, you know, throwing shade at the West Tigers and being a dickhead and all this other crap after, you know, we won't go into that any further. But, um <laughs> It just it just soured the whole thing, and you know Benny's starting to speak on on behalf of Mitch, and Mitch is kind of you could kind of tell he's sort of stepping back a bit, going, "I don't need your help, Benny. It's all good." Yeah, yeah. Benny keeps going, nah, fucking stick the booty, mate." <laughs> and I think Mitch just went, "Yeah, yeah I've, I've said my bit and moved on. It's, I'm I'm all good." And you just got this impression Mitch was trying to move on and just he's trying to fucking drag the shit and he kept shitting on the Tigers for a few weeks after it. And I was just like, eh, fuck that. You know, the thing about Mitchell Moses for
2: me, I, I've got nothing against him. But he feels like he he's, he's one of those dudes, like if he was a mate, I would take the piss out of him.
1: Oh, yeah, you'd like, rip on him all the
2: time. 100%. And yeah. that's because he, he's, there's nothing wrong with him. He's fine. There's nothing wrong with him. Yeah. But and, and when he's on he makes that Eels team unstoppable. Like, literally, like, when Mitchell Mitchell Moses is at his best, the Eels look like the Premiership winners and who's going to stop them? Um, and, and that's the thing that you can say about his, the football side of things. And I think that sometimes his football is held back a little bit by how the team is playing or how teams play against the Eels. But, uh, yeah, I, like... I agree with you. I think that he was like, man, I don't need this. Because he shut up. He wouldn't talk about it. He he didn't need that drama. I've got a question for you. Because I put up a poll Mm -hmm. on my Twitter today. And it said, who is your favorite NRL, Moses? And 95 people responded. 57% said Mitchell. And 43% said Mbai. Out of those
1: (laughs) two, who's your favorite, Moses? Moses. Mitchell. By a long way. I thought so. Yeah. (laughs) I'll tell you what, one thing that's stood out for me, and this this has happened for a long time, but you get to see it clear as day whenever the Tigers play Parramatta.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you look at any time the camera shows Mitch Moses or Luke Brooks, you'll see more often than not, Moses will be yelling, directing, talking, and Brooks will be standing around like a brown cow. Yeah. And that's why I always said Moses was always a halfback and Brooks was always a six. He needed to be directed around the park, and we still see it today. Um, yeah. It's, it's just clear as that. It's something that Luke Brooks, as I've said it before, he's always struggled with. He still does. And it doesn't matter what the what the media says, what anybody says, and they going, oh, you know, Brooks is going to be unleashed this year. You're going, no, he's not. The only way you're going to unleash Luke Brooks is if you put a top quality number seven next to him. That's the way it'll work.
2: The, the you know what the Brooks situation makes me feel sad because he was the only one that stayed and he stayed for less money, so the others could stay, and they all left and so and he's played in terrible teams like I think it's fair to say Luke Brooks has never been close to having a team around him that it was worth his talent and it, i like I wish it would work i wish it had worked out for him. But it just looks like it hasn't. Um,
1: they were close. Look, like when when he Moses and um, and Tedesco were all the Tigers in that last year, they were they were clicking. Mm. And things were starting to work. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I I think one one thing I'd say about Luke Brooks is that he needs Mitch Moses more than Mitch Moses needs Luke Brooks. That's yes. always been the case. Yes. Um. And coaches never switched them around. They should have always been. Brooks 6, Moses 7. Would have been fine. They never did it.
2: I just wonder, you know, it's it's really interesting when you look at there's so many careers right now that are kind of in a funny position. Uh, and like Brooks is one of those. Adam Reynolds is one of those. Mitchell Pierce is one of those. And it makes you wonder, like, is, is there a world where a combination of these plays just work together? Is there a world where a team like the Cowboys says, you know, we're going to sign, we're going to sign Adam Reynolds, and we're going to sign uh, Mitchell Pierce, and in some weird way, it just works really well. And I, part of me hopes that there's something like that. Like part of me hopes, hopes that Luke Brooks goes to some club that, for whatever, like he, he signs for Manly, you know, and he's playing alongside DCE, and it works so well. Like that's the sort of thing I would like to see. That's why I, the the thing with Mitchell Pearce is so interesting to me because I know he's got this injury, but I really even on the in the game before he got injured, I was thinking, man, this dude would be incredible as a hooker. And it, like, is there that that place where you know he goes there? It's his last chance, and he signs for a club, and he play they sign him as a hooker, and it just works so frigging well he wins a premiership as a hooker. Like I would love stuff like that to happen.
1: Yeah. Look, I, I've got a feeling given Todd Payton's relationship with both the Warriors and the Tigers as a player and coach. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they're the two places he looks at for recruitment. Mm -hmm. And he probably looks at Luke Brooks as a halfback option, which would be probably a bad move given they don't have any other halves.
0: I agree.
1: Um, and I dare say Michael McGuire would not say, would not get in Luke Brooks's way if that came forward,
0: because
1: mm-hmm. then he'd go after Adam Reynolds.
2: Yeah, and he's got that relationship there.
1: Mm. You know. It all comes down to those sort of things. But, uh, yeah. Sometimes some players just need a change of clubs to improve their fortunes. For some players, it ruins them. Some players need it, though. I think... Brooks has probably been at the Tigers for quite a while now
0: mm-hmm.
1: and has no much success. I think it might be best for both him and the club to part ways just to see if things can get better for either of them because yeah. they're, not, they're not going to at the current, current rate. No,
2: no. And it's,
1: it's it sucks. I would love Brooks to be a
2: Tiger for life. but Oh,
1: look, there's not, there'd be nothing better than to see every player stay at the club they make their debut with. I think there's nothing better than one club players. But, yeah, it doesn't get to happen Yeah, um, all the time, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, I think something that Luke Brooks should probably consider is, you know, does he honestly think that the Tigers are going to make the finals uh, anytime soon? Because he's now getting to the age where he's got to start thinking about, he's only got two contracts left. Yes. The next one's going to get him to 30, and then he's got the one from when he turns 30 onwards. And so he's got to try and get the absolute best footy out of himself between now and the end of that contract that gets tuned him to 30, because that will set up his last contract. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So he's got to figure out whether he's going to be able to make that money at the Tigers or whether he needs to go to another club and try and get it there. Uh, Interesting to see what happens. There's a few clubs. The the Tigers, I think the Sharks and the Cowboys have got nearly a dozen players each coming off contract, I think, between them. Yeah, it's going to be a big off-season. The Tigers won't have that many, but they've got a few... It's all name. the money that comes
2: off their books,
1: though. Yeah, they've got a lot, of, a lot of cap space being freed up with a few players coming off, so they're going to be big in the market, as are the Sharks. Yeah. Sharks have a big, man, big, big amount of money coming off their cap.
2: And it's crazy because they need to sign John Morris right now a- yeah. and have him locked in so that that's his money to spend. Because even if they signed Wayne Bennett in August, it's too late. All good, It's not going to be his team. You know, they it's, it's they've got to get him locked in as soon as possible, and I don't know why they haven't done it. They don't need any other
0: coach. No, there's no, no other
1: coach currently better for the for the Sharks than John Morris. He understands all the juniors. He was a junior coach there. Um, he's developing them, developing them very, very well. Yeah, and bringing them through at the right time, and getting them
2: playing above themselves in most games. Yeah, it, he's he's really good. I'll tell you the other player I'd love to talk about just before we go. And it's play you and me had bigger apps on Cole Flanagan. Okay. Now when he was at those sharks, you and me were like, oh man, unbelievable what we're saying. Then he moves to the Roosters and we're devastated for the Sharks. It didn't work out at the Roosters, and obviously there was there was that thing of when he did get dropped, he, his dad rang up the coach <laughs> and asked why, which is uh, just the worst thing you could want. Uh, the, he left the you, Roosters.
1: You could the, just see So it's just you could just hear Cole saying, Oh,
2: Dad, shut up! I know, right? I know. <laughs> and then he leaves the roosters. The basically the roosters hate his guts. On the way out, he goes to the the bulldogs, and he is not playing well at all. What do you, what do you reckon you do in this circumstance? dear? You, I think yeah, in an ideal world you put him back down to reserve grade and say, mate, you need a couple of months just to get out of the spotlight, get back to the basics. But
0: I, I don't,
1: don't think see. the bulldogs can do that. I don't think. No, I can't blame him too much because their forwards are not laying any form of platform.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Barrett's been chopping and changing the forward pack, which is the first thing you want to do when they're not working for you. But it's also the first way to make sure that you've got no cohesion, which means you're constantly going back to square one every time. Yeah. So if it works, it's because of a fluke, not because you're a genius. Yeah. Okay, so he's now creating this vicious cycle where he's constantly going back to the drawing board, back to the drawing board and they're going back instead of forwards. He's just got to go, you know what I need to get what I think is our best forward rotation Mm -hmm. and stick with it for a month and hopefully things start to improve and then make one, maybe two changes along the way. If I need to, to that you know, rotation, just to try and get a bit of cohesion there. Try and get a bit of a a basic platform. He's got to get right back to basics, you know. Three, four tackles just straight up the middle. Let's just try and make 30, 40 metres a set. Get just a basic kick on the end. Try and complete some basic sets. Try and gain a bit of extra metres up the field. And, man, he's got to do something about that defence because it is just getting worse every week. Yes, yeah, it's shockingly worse. Very quickly, yeah, the reads are horrible. Oh. There's no communication in there at all. Like last year, when you watched the Bulldogs defending, they had good communication and they worked pretty well together. Yeah. Um. But now it's just not there. There's no, no conversation going on defensively. It seems. Um. It, they're kind of guessing the, a bit. The
2: thing, the thing that got me in that game that they played in the last round. Like, I feel like Lachlan Lewis is a really good half to have alongside. And when he got injured so early on, it was like, man, this is the worst-case scenario. And then you see some of the passing that they, like, to say that there was a lack of attention to detail is, like, not saying how bad they are. Because just, you know, passes that would go over the sideline and dribble along the ground, and it was just, it's weird. They're getting worse, and, and that really worries me. Whenever a team – because they're m- a much better team on paper. Like, they've got – they added a good half a dozen first-grade players to that team, and that's saying something, because they only had two or three first-graders last year. Yeah. Um, And they're they're much worse, and that, that really
1: worries me for the Bulldogs. Yeah, they're I don't know how they fix it. I, I don't think they need to be looking at – they're attacking players just yet. I know they haven't scored a point for three weeks, mm. but a lot of the, you know, it's hard to score points when you're constantly struggling just to get, you know, into the opposition's half. Yeah. And that's just forwards, not laying a platform. And then when your halves and your, all your outside backs are getting the ball, they're spending more time running sideways, looking for option runners, you know, either running straight against the grain, that sort of thing. And it's just not happening. It's just lots of people standing around. So, They need to start working on that line running, running straight forward. um, You know, trying to hit the hit the shoulders of players that run instead of running straight at them one on one because they're a lot easier to get to the ground that way and wrap the Mm -hmm. ball up. Um, And then from there, try and create some second phase play. Once you get a few offloads happening it kind of makes up for any meters you're not making because you're keeping the ball alive and the defensive line scattered. You can start sort of throwing the ball around and going a bit sideways and looking for those runners out wide. You might start making some meters that way. But at the moment, the Bulldogs are just... They are... They're just shot in attack. And it's... You know, Flanagan is partly to blame, but he's not fully to blame. You know, there's just nothing doing there. Nothing.
2: Like I said, I tweeted to Bulldogs fans. I was like... You know, spend the next few hours shake that loss off and enjoy your weekend because that's all you can do. Like you can't, because otherwise you just start and hate watching footy, and that's not what it's all about. And I've I've seen my teams play really badly, but there's always been like a light that you could see, and that that would be the juniors. Um, but man, you know, sometimes you look at some of these teams and you're like, what are fans looking forward to? Like, what are Bulldogs fans? Like, if you went two, back two years ago and you said to them, you know what, in two years' time, you're going to have lost it so bad that even League Freak feels sorry for you. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> that's that's pretty rough.
1: <laughs> that's something to fall back on. Yeah. You know, and this like, used to follow a team that was coached by Matthew Elliott.
2: Yeah, like, seriously. I think even, like, because I've been thinking about this lately, because we've got some teams that are really bad this year. Even under Matthew Elliott, we weren't fucking abysmal. Like, we had really good players that were playing a really dumb, simplistic style of football that we were never going to win anything with. But we still, you could still, you know, count on Michael Jennings scoring it from nowhere. You know, you could still count on watching the game, and yeah, it'd be frustrating and stuff, but. We weren't not able to score for three weeks in a row and stuff like that. We didn't start 0-4. Like, that's a completely different level. And I'm thinking to myself, like, the worst seasons I saw, as I said, were 2000, 2001, those seasons. But even then, at least you could say, well, you know what, next year, you know, these youngsters, they're going to be one year better and stuff. And a lot of these teams right now, like, I'm looking at the Cowboys and I'm thinking – if I was a Cowboys fan, the only thing that I would be thinking every single day is, I hope Tal Malolo doesn't get sick of this shit because they've got nothing else.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, if they need a lot of work. So as I said, I I hope given that the the coaches have brought in, I hope they stick with him because um, I think Peyton's got the the ability to to fix up that roster. Mm. Um, I saw someone making, you know, claiming that there's a lot of players that are upset with him. You know what? Good. Good. Because
0: yeah.
1: they, they don't deserve to have a coach that they get on well with because they've not earned that right. Exactly. They So they need a coach up there He's going to go in there and kick some pants in because, fuck, that needs to happen. It needed to happen a long time ago. Green, let them get away with shit, yep. obviously. Peyton has not minced his words. He's pretty much said that they've they've been lazy. Um, the best he's seen of him this year was in the preseason, mm-hmm. and that's not a good look. No, and and the thing is, I, I
2: think that his criticism of Tamalolo was pr- because, like, I saw Tamalolo asked about it the next week. Tamalolo is the happiest dude on, in in on the in the world. It was cr- pretty incredible. It was really nice to see, but part of me feels like he probably went to Tamalolo and said, "Listen, we're fucking terrible this year. You know that. I know that." I need to put a, a rocket up these guys. I'm going to say some stuff in the media and it's going to be aimed at you. Would that be all right? You know what I mean? Which happens from time to time. It, they'll go, You'll go to your best player and say, I, I need the, you know, I need my forwards to s- step up. So I'm going to say that you need to step up so that they'll say, well, if you'll say it about Jason Tomalolo, what's he thinking about me? Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: I think too it was more about 'Cause the thing that was really important was he said, I can't have Tormalolo doing, you know, all this extra work that these other blokes should be doing and busting himself over eighty minutes. I want this bloke to be in pristine condition at the end of his contract as well, so we're getting maximum value out of him. Yeah. So he's making it clear that I'm rolling back from being an eighty minute player to a sixty minute player, probably even making play less less game time if possible, to try and preserve the you know, the magnificence that he is. Yeah, which means all you mob have to start lifting your fucking game because he's not going to be on the field all the time to carry you all the time. And I think it's been really the injury cool. has, has been very good at showing yes. just how important he is.
2: Exactly. It's been, it was like, uh, obviously, you don't want to break your hand at any point, but it couldn't have been timed any better. So that, as you say, we're seeing what the Cowboys are without him. Mm. And the other thing is he's not, Getting aware and tear of these games, either. Which, how often do you see a coach say, I want to save my best player for when we're really clicking? You know, because most coaches, if you've got a player like that, the vast majority of coaches would run him into the ground and let the next dude worry about the consequences.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, I wonder too if you'd bring Malello back and put him on the bench. But if, if you're Todd Payton, you go, you know what, I'm going to bring him back, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to get him on there carrying you either. I'm going to put him on the bench and he can come on for the second half. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Like, and but see you, don't the, to, you don't have to do it every week, just for like nah. two or three weeks after he's come back from his injuries. a way yeah. to sort of warm him into the role or some shit like that, you know, but... Um, or just see the difference. Like, so Todd Payton can say, you know what,
2: fresh, you guys were making like, you know, seven metres of carry. I put Tamalalo on. All of a sudden, he's making nine meters of carry. What does that say about my starters?
1: You know, that's right. I think he he does have some good some good depth plays there in the forwards, but you need a few more than just depth plays in the forwards. And West Tigers fans can attest to that.
2: Yeah, especially in this era where, uh, like, the best forward packs are unbelievable. Like. Yeah, the like, the, I mean, the Panthers pack is, like, they're not all-name players, but how they work as a, as a pack and as a rotation off the bench, I don't think I've ever seen before in my life. And then you get, like, you look down at a team like Newcastle, they,
1: their pack is pretty damn good, and they're mid-table. Yeah, well, that's the thing, too. I mean, the best packs now, they've got a mix of body shapes and sizes in them, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you look at Parramatta and you've got Campbell Gillard, who's, Rather tall and, you know, solidly built. But then you've got Paulo, who's just, you know, a shorter tank with that lower center of gravity. And then you've got Lane, who's tall and lanky as well. And and then Madison on the other side, very good hole runner who could play as a center possibly even, you know, if you ever shorten that area. And just all different types of bodies, all different types of um, players, what roles they've got. Mm -hmm. And so it just adds... A little bit extra to your attack and gives you the halves other options. Like if you need someone who's just going to run a good straight line, you can run to the, towards this player. If you need someone who's just going to, you know, steamroll over through a, a whole heap of humans close to the line, you can go the other way to this player and that's what you need is all these options. Yeah. So, yeah. I do worry about the Cowboys at the moment though because I don't see where the silver lining is at the moment.
2: No, I, I'm kind of hoping that they've got a little bit of money to spend and they can buy it. Like if they just bought the quality of first graders that the Bulldogs brought in from last year, I think that would be a massive step for them. Uh, and I feel like they might be able to write this ship a bit quicker than the Bulldogs are, for instance. And uh, like they still would need a couple of juniors to come through and stuff like that. But um, that they, it's not going to, I don't think it's something you can just, for the Cowboys, I think there's going to be a buying buying element, I guess is what I'm saying to it. And that worries me a little bit because they've got two players on their books on a million bucks a year. There's not much left for everyone else. No,
1: that's right. Uh, so, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, I'm interesting to see what happens with a lot of these teams at the end of the year because some of these struggling sides have got a lot of... They'll have a fair bit of coin available. Mm. So, I'm be interesting to see what happens. I think next year could be an interesting season
2: yeah you know the thing that I find the most interesting is I feel as though there's going to be a lot of money available there's going to be only a handful of players that are going to move the needle on the clubs that would need them and then after that I feel like it's going to be a lot of musical chairs and and you don't want to be one of the teams that says well we brought in four new players from the Seagulls <laughs> you know, and I feel like that could happen really easily to a club that just gets caught out. Yeah, West Tigers. Um, <laughs> I wasn't, wasn't going to say anything, but when you start no, recruiting in February next year, we'll see.
1: Yeah, it'll happen. It'll happen. Lock it in. <laughs> um, that's a good episode. Anything else we need to chuck in there?
2: No, I think we've established that um, your pure hatred of and contempt of the paramount eels is pretty, you know. Runs unshakable. Deep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's uh, really, really interesting. By the way, clocks went back. How, how angry were you about that?
1: Loved it. <laughs> Absolutely loved it. Got my cows fed on time. <laughs> the blinds aren't just fading anymore. Oh, it's fantastic.
0: <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> oh.
1: It's great. Fantastic. We're back on normal time again.
2: Ah. You can you can be up and see the sun rising on your
1: vast acreages. That's right. I'm not on um advanced skin cancer time anymore. <laughs> skin cancer time. Oh shit. That's funny. Oh man. That's brilliant. Loving it. That's good. I, I woke up the other day and went. Oh, woken up an hour early. What the fuck? Oh, <laughs> go back to sleep. It's felt like that every single day for the last few days. you know? I
2: was, I was, I didn't even get to make use of it. I was up and actually watched the clock tick over, trying to sleep. It didn't work.
1: <laughs> See, that's bad because then you have to watch the last hour all over again. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It was like Groundhog Day uh, for an hour. Yeah. Oh, Here we go again. <laughs> No, it's all been good. All been good. Um, all right. Well, at this point, we must well let you know where you can contact us if you don't know already. Yeah. I've only said it 290 times before.
2: Well, at some point, I'm thinking we just say, listen, if you've listened to us long enough, you know where to get in touch. Yeah. We and must say be... that. Yeah. We must That's
1: say that it. for episode 300.
2: <laughs> oh, 300 onwards, yeah. <clears throat> We're getting there. But anyway, so until we get there, go to com. Go to the contact section. And just send us an email straight from there. We'll read our
1: emails in the next episode, so get a few of them in for us. Yeah, we're going to be doing it next. We might do it tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. Um, also, check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Fergo Freak Pod. We're on MySpace, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube. Um, so check us out on all of those. Um, share our podcast around on on the socials as well. That'd be great. Yeah, anytime Uh, you you
2: retweet it, like we literally see the the bump in listener numbers. So, and we love it. There's a bunch of people out there. Gibbo does it all the time. So, thank you for that, Gibbo.
1: He's a legend. Yeah. Um. So yeah, get in on that action. That'd be awesome. Um. As we said, you know, go to your podcast listening app and leave us a, a five star rating and give us a review. and We'll read that out on the podcast and we'll even put it up on the uh the website. Um, and I suppose that, that's about it, isn't it? Yeah. The only other thing I would say is
2: uh, <clears throat> if you want to support the digitisation of rugby league history, you cheap fuck, you free <laughs> bastard, go to patreon.com forward slash RL project.
1: It's getting very aggressive.
2: Yeah, because oh, you low-life scumbag, you've been sucking off the teat for far too long. And Andrew works day and night to keep that website going and look very, at you. You can't even very, reach into your pocket. Very abusive. We, Andrew, we've got a, Andrew it's, said it's, everyone that doesn't go on his Patreon is a <laughs> No, no, he didn't really. He doesn't work we, words like that. That's me saying that.
1: We have a very passive um, marketing approach. Yeah. <laughs> it's always been you can donate from as little as a dollar a month if you want <laughs> That's true. That's true.
2: I'm saying I'm trying to step it up on your behalf. Yeah, yeah. Is Andrew's too kind? I'm trying to step it up on his behalf. Yeah. So, so just take some, take some like money that you've got, and give it to the man whose work you steal over and over again. You know who you are, George. <laughs> I was gonna name George. <laughs> I was gonna say I'm not gonna name you George. Just,
1: just a random name. Yeah, just random names. It might be somebody called George Jetson.
2: Oh, yeah, could be. Um, But, yeah, anyway, like, <laughs> seriously, Andrew does a lot of really hard work. I see the work he does on the website. Um, People have been tagging me into a lot of questions that have been asked of Andrew and stats, and I've been so tempted to say I'll get my stats guy onto that.
1: Well... <laughs> I was getting asked an awful lot of stats questions about... Um... I think it was, you know, shitty attacking teams like the Bulldogs.
0: Yeah.
1: One was, you know, what's the longest amount of time a team's gone without scoring any points and stuff like that? Yeah. These are questions I get asked all the time on during footy games. So if you ever feel like you want to ask a stats-based question along those sort of lines, especially if it's a team-based one, um, hit me up on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, like, ask us both. Yeah. Um, yeah ask, we... the, ask the podcasting account, you know. Yeah.
2: yeah. I always think that's why... That's why me and Andrew run Rugby League Project together. <laughs> no, not really. I've got nothing to do with Rugby League Project. People, people ask me those questions, and I'm thinking to myself, "Fuck, I don't know." <laughs> Some league freak you are. <laughs> there was one, another answer I was going to give was, um, uh, I was going to like name a player. I say this is the first time that a player named so-and-so has scored this many tries in this game. But, yeah,
0: Probably you got to
2: – yeah, yeah, see, I would have been right. But, uh, yeah, you can while ask Andrew it. any question during the game. He's good for that.
1: So while we're at it, you should be supporting one of the um, longest-running independent rugby league content creators there is out there in League Freak by going to patreon.com slash uh you know, there's been a few people out there that freeload off his website as well. So, you know, don't, fucking chip in, chip don't, in, you lazy fuck, and give him some cash. Don't talk about the footy show like that. Then, then you can take your shit. <laughs> yeah, then, yeah. I'll give you the shit. <laughs> Just give the man some coin first, then take it, you know.
2: See, you yeah. need to be more violent about it, Andrew. I can't be violent. Yeah,
1: no, you're too nice of a person. Uh, that's what they say. I'm trying my best. Yeah. I'm trying my best. Um, that's an interesting way to end the episode, though. Thanks for tuning yeah. everyone. Yeah. And um, say so we'll catch you in
0: the next day or two with a whole heap of your emails. So check that out.